Welcome to Unfurling, a podcast that explores the power of the natural world to inform and inspire. I'm Katrina. And I'm Elizabeth. And today we're going to be exploring the topic of confidence, um, something that means something to us personally, professionally, and feels timely um, with the wider world at the moment. Yeah, should we perhaps spend a little bit of time talking about why we've chosen this today, Elizabeth? Well, there's a few, there's a kind of a few words that have been buzzing around my head. One is courage, um, and I think that's somehow connected to confidence. We might explore that a bit. And for me, in kind of recent times, courage has, has, has I guess, led me to do um, certain things. One is um, I moved to Zambia in Africa. That was some years ago now. And I lived there for a year. And I'll, I'll go into that a little bit later. But there's something about courage to kind of um, follow um, an intuition and a hunch um, and a call to adventure and and a new scene as well um, and also more recently kind of courage and confidence to step up into local politics and mm. I think that has I mean gosh that's that's that is an ongoing journey um, but it has I guess yeah really demanded confidence sometimes when I certainly don't feel it and I, I think that's something actually to mention mm. about this um, topic we're not coming into this as um super confident people who've got everything sorted far from it you know there are times we feel the classic imposter syndrome thing um there are times we're not sure of ourselves and you know that might come up in this episode but nonetheless we felt it was an important topic to look at from a kind of personal point of view and also you know what does it mean for the world today um what about you Kat? yeah i guess um to your last point about the world um yeah, it can feel, not always, but it can feel that we're in a bit of a time of um, doubt mm. in our world. So, you know, in our leaders, um, in job security, in our health, in the environment and in ourselves and, and others. So that kind of doubt um, feels quite present in my mind, at least. And so it's kind of how can we bring in a sense of confidence in ourselves and in others and in the world um, to help build compassion and courage and connection um, for, the, for the world. So there's something, I guess, that's drawing me here for that. And as you say, personally, yeah, there are moments where I feel wonderfully confident and there are moments where I have huge self-doubt. Mm. And so we're definitely not coming to this as confidence experts um, or confidence coaches uh, I guess, interestingly, when I think about my clients, you know, I, I never advertise as being a confidence coach, but actually often in testimonials, people talk about building their confidence. And for me, there's something as well about really connecting with, you know, what's important to us and our belief in ourselves and that we we matter and are enough. So, um, yeah, I guess there's different levels and types of confidence as well that we can we can look into as well, whether it's mm. inner or outer. Great. So we'll, we'll jump in. Um, and as usual, we have a kind of loose structure um, for how we're going to approach the episode. And I suppose actually this time it's more of a metaphor than a kind of, you know, well-known structure. Um, and it uses the idea of migratory birds. And this is something I'm really into. I've been enjoying watching, um, well, I'm in the UK, so I've been enjoying watching the swallows and swifts kind of start to make their way back to Africa. So yeah, so 
thinking of migratory birds, um, obviously there's an individual bird. So each bird will know um, when it's time to make that journey back south to, towards Africa. Um, so when I think of migratory birds, I think of the individuals going on that journey. Um, they're, you know, what they're doing, what they need, how they're flying and, and so on. But they're also, you know, they're not doing it alone. They are with others. When birds gather to migrate, and I'm thinking of swallows in particular now, they will kind of congregate and gather and you might see them sitting on um, telephone wires and, and things. Um, they start to gather and they, a lot of them will make that journey together. So there's something about um, the individual, but also the individual as a group in relationship. So that mm. group of birds and then finally, when this group of birds set off on their journey, and it's thousands of miles, um, they they often don't put on weight before they go. Um, they find food on the way. So they're trusting in resource that they're going to come across from the world, um, from humans as well. Um, you know, they're trusting that that um, path will be um, unimpeded and that they will be able to safely um, find a way and that's you know we'll touch on that later because that's um, a bit of a challenge at the moment to, to some migratory birds so there's that sense of an individual bird the group the flock that they travel in and then all of them trusting in the journey the resource from the wider world um, and from things that are beyond their control so we're going to use that as a loose metaphor um, as we think about confidence um, today how does that sound Kat? Well, I, I personally love it. Um, it was Elizabeth's idea, but it, it resonates with me because my dad spent much of his career, did his PhD in bird navigation, you know, looking at migratory birds and mm. set up the Ramsar Convention to help, yeah, protect lands and wet, well, particularly wetlands for birds as they migrate. And, and also personally, uh, my life purpose statement, which we created as part of my coach training uh, with CTI, is I'm the playful swallow flying through the orb of love, bringing energy and light. So it sounds a tiny bit pretentious, but I, I enjoy it. And uh, mm. yeah, so I, I can definitely resonate on some personal fronts with, with this idea. Mm. Um, and what I enjoy about it as well is that usually before we, we do these podcasts, we have a, a call, don't we, a couple of days before to plan out what we're going to talk about. And mm. today we haven't. <laughs> so. No, we're just winging it, as it were. Literally winging it. Uh, metaphor, yeah. Perhaps some confidence, or increasing confidence in perhaps what we're trying to do and offer here. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And it's, tr again, going back to the to the migrator, migration metaphor, perhaps it's, you know, whether it's, uh, yeah, I'm not a bird expert, I don't totally understand, but whether it's that kind of magnetic pull or... Um, the sun or whatever other kind of navigational tools these birds are using mm. there's something about you know they're following an inner compass and I think for me personally I'm okay not being sure on every word and every detail and, and every part of the plan as long as my inner compass says okay yeah this is something um, that's important and here are the values that that resonates with and you know kind of trusting in that navigational tool that I think we all have um, rather than being too caught up in exact kind of step-by-step -step what that's going to look like. Mm. And I, th I think that that leads nicely to Dictionary Corner. Love it. Um, <laughs> I was that would come in soon. Yeah, I have to get it out there. Yeah. Um, 
Cambridge Dictionary um, has a couple of definitions um, of confidence. One is a noun around certainty. So the quality of being certain of your abilities or of having trust in people, plans or the future. So it's that kind of certainty piece that's important here. There's also a different definition, again, a noun about a sure feeling. So a feeling of having little doubt about yourself and your abilities or a feeling of trust in someone or something. So there's a, it's, it's a subtle difference, but, you know, that idea of certainty, mm. that idea of feeling, it both can be about confidence. And we were actually curious about the meaning of the word, you know, going back in history and from Latin, confidentia, from confidentem is about firmly trusting or bold. And for me, I think will probably play out during the podcast, but the idea of trust in oneself, in others, in the natural world feels really important as well. Yeah, yeah, trust feels, yeah, that feels, that really resonates with me and it makes me think of a quote that I noted down earlier. Um, And I have a few actually from this lady, um, Helen Keller, she was a deaf and blind author and political activist and lecturer um, in the US. And because of what she achieved, um, despite her deafness and blindness, um, she's become a real kind of symbol of you know, courage um, in adversity. And one of the things she said was, um, where is it? So walking with a friend in the dark is better than walking alone in the light. And when I read that, I sort of, I thought of the idea of trust, as you just mentioned, you know, we, we don't have to know everything or have everything on our own. It puts a lot of pressure on ourselves, but if we know mm. that we can walk with someone else, even when things are tough, um, you know, things become easier. And to do that, it requires trust and that requires relationship. And that's something I'm really interested in, actually, you know, some of the challenges that we're facing in the world now, I think, and I think I've mentioned this before, you know, I really um, think that, you know, things like technology and money will be very helpful, but they will never lead us or tell us where to go. And I think the only way we will create a better, um, you know, resilient, healthy, sustainable, equal, fair future is through relationship building. Mm. Um, When we have relationships and we have trust and we can then suddenly cooperate on things that are complex and challenging. Um, So that idea of, yeah, walking with others in the dark really resonates. And in Mm. fact, in this podcast, actually, you know, um, both of us have, you know, there's, there's a lot we have in common. There's also things that we're kind of differently skilled in so some of the things you're good at I'm less good at and vice versa Mm. and it's there's Mm. something about trusting each other as we kind of create this new thing and um you know when it's not all on each of us individually it's it's an alchemy I think that that comes Mm. through our shared and different skills and values and I really enjoy that yeah yeah that alchemy feels important that um yeah because I think sometimes when I think of confidence yeah it can feel like something that we have to attain you know we you you are you are confident or you are not you know and that there's this this place that you get to and then you are confident and quite frankly you know uh, if you think about kind of a learning journey you know we you know once you've learned and mastered one thing you then realize there's more to learn and master and it's it's an ever-going thing and so I kind of feel like confidence can also follow that as well and 
yeah, I, I love the idea of it not all being on us. Obviously, if we can connect with our kind of inner wisdom and compassion and our values, that can really help, you know, build our self-esteem and confidence. And yet being held, you know, by the company of others and even challenged sometimes, you know, can, can build that confidence. So shall we dive in then to examples from the natural world mm. that we've, we've come across? Um, looking at, you know, confidence within oneself, with others and with and in the natural world. Sounds good, yeah. Yeah, we, uh, well, I did some, some good old Googling mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and came across some great different kind of animal and bird species. And I guess the first example that came to mind is probably, not an, an obvious one really, is about peacocks. Because uh, when I think about confident creatures, immediately I, I imagine the male peacock, you know, with his wonderful display for his peahen, mm. you know, and it's, even just the eyes, you know, within the feathers, you know, it's, it's a very powerful and colorful uh, look. And I guess what I find interesting about that is even when his feathers are down, the peacock still looks mag- majestic and very confident, you know? So it's almost like an example of a creature that really embodies confidence trust in oneself it's it's all there to be seen even when it's hidden away so in a way on on that one hand and then there was another one that I came across um which is actually called the flamboyant cuttlefish (laughs) not just Uh, a cuttlefish but a flamboyant cuttlefish no exactly and you know google them because they're they're beautiful and fascinating Mm. um and they're often portrayed on on tv and in articles with these full colors on display and yet the cuttlefish only uses them on occasion. So, for example, for male courtship rituals, um, when the males are fighting over female, or to kind of flash briefly at a threatening object um, when it approaches too closely, mm-hmm. which is assumed to scare it away. So I quite like the idea of the cuttlefish because, you know, for the majority of its time, it's not displaying these flamboyant colours and uh, almost like disco lights. It's, it's, it's drawing on its kind of confidence or outward confidence, at least the external display um, for particular reasons. And I think that there's something there for us to, to think about, you know, it's, it's, you know, there's often talk, especially in the personal development world, you know, faking it till you make it. And um, Mm. I'm not sure about it that I can, I understand it. And there is a time and a place for it, but at the same time, perhaps it's okay to, to be who we are in a lower key energy and then to bring out that confidence as and when we need it. So, you know, today I was pretty tired mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I did, and now I'm bringing out this, this side of me that talks on podcasts, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's about being conscious of how we want to use our energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and kind of for what, for what purpose? Um, mm-hmm. And as you're talking about colors and disco lights that made me think too of um bower birds which Mm. um are kind of they're birds in indonesia and australia um and i'll I'll put we'll put a link in the show notes but some of them make the males make amazing um nest structures and some of them can be huge you know over a meter um and they 
they line them with all sorts of colourful objects, so flowers and fruits and bits of plastic and glass. And they're incredibly colourful. And this is all with the purpose of attracting a mate, um, as is often the way with sort of elaborate colours and rituals in nature. Yeah, and on this topic of birds and colours, I enjoyed reading about the Eclectus parrot. Um, So unlike other parrot species, um, females may mate with multiple male suitors. And the males may travel from nesting site to nesting site to mate with multiple females. And this approach may explain why there's a huge sexual dimorphism within the parrots, where basically the males are a vivid, bright green, and the females are this kind of more red, purple color. So the females need to remain conspicuous uh, at the entrance of the nest hole, So in order to attract the male parrots in, but they also need to be well hidden in the depth of the nest and the red color hides them well in the darkness. Whereas the male being brilliant green helps camouflage them whilst they're foraging amongst the trees. Until the early 20th century, the male and the female were actually considered to be different species. And so why I like this example is it's it's not necessarily always the, the males that have to you know, be the outwardly confident, bright ones. You know, there's a, a, a range and diversity within this. Um, and I think that's interesting as we think about society and people more generally, including in the world of work. Yeah, that also makes me think of um, just thinking of humans for, for a moment and colour. So I'm not a big wearer of lipstick, but occasionally mm. if I'm wanting a little burst of confidence or or something, actually almost more like a feeling of kind of being protected or like I'm wearing armour, I will put some, not, I mean, I'm not a kind of bright red lipstick wearer, but I'll put some kind of lipstick on just to give myself through the colour a feeling of kind of confidence. And I'm kind of curious as to how lockdown has affected that, you know, I've definitely been walking around very casually (laughs) for the last kind of six months. And as the UK looks like we will be doing more and more lockdowns, um, it's how do we find that confidence within our homes? You know, Mm. maybe it's putting on bright lipstick or, you know, whatever you want to put on Mm. to um, connect with that. Yeah, so as we, I guess, think about confidence in others then, So when I was thinking of an example, what came to my mind, and perhaps it's slightly morbid, is uh, the praying mantis. Because often the female praying mantis is associated with biting off uh, the head of her her male mate and other body parts as well. Mm, Um, Romantic. I know. (laughs) Um, And there's something for me, you know, now whether it's conscious or not in the male that this could happen to them, I don't know. We don't know. But there is that confidence for the male to go forth nonetheless in order to mate and pass down their genetic material with the risk of being eaten. Mm. Now, there was a study actually um, in 2016, uh, which found that when female Chinese uh, mantises consume their mates, they acquire important amino acids that are then incorporated into the eggs they lay. And they also appear to lay twice as many eggs after cannibalizing a male than they normally would. (laughs) Sorry, this is really grim. 
But I guess my point being, there is a point here, I think. A is that this doesn't happen all the time. So actually, it's been found that uh, studies have shown that females only really do this about 13 to 28% of the time in terms of eating their male counterparts. But there's something for me here about um, the risk that we take, you know, in others, whether it's worth it. And and this one may seem like the most extreme risk you could take. (laughs) But actually, even if you, you know, the, the male does get eaten, they have actually, you know, through their nutrients, given their DNA, an elevated chance of getting passed on to the next generation. And if they don't get eaten, they can go off and mate with other females, you know, and they've passed on their genetic material. So I'm conscious this is a really extreme example of trusting or having confidence in others. But for me, it brings up the question about risk and analyzing risk um, that we take in other people and, and, you know, how we judge whether it's a risk worth taking. Yeah, that's really interesting cat um and absolutely yeah uh, this is not something we should be <laughs> copying i don't um but <laughs> yeah please don't that was just a disclaimer from unfurling podcast it reminded me of um when i was in zambia in southern africa and i can't remember the context or how it, how we even got to this point but there was a praying mantis on my arm on the lower part of my arm Wow. Um, and it was beautiful, you know, the, the kind of heads and the way they almost like wash their face. And it was really interesting. But I had no idea that they can run so quickly. Um, oh. this, this praying mantis went from being kind of near my hand to suddenly scurrying so fast up my arm and onto my neck. And it made me just, oh, it just <laughs> absolutely terrified me. <laughs> really made me jump um so when I think of praying mantises I get a kind of shiver and have to like check my neck to make something there yeah and I love this idea of trust and kind of how do we place our risk or how do we how does risk become more bearable when we kind of um we can see the outcomes when we're working with others Mm. um and it made me think of a couple of things I'm kind of going to, I guess, keep coming back to this idea of migration because it's in my mind a lot at the moment. Um, and actually when geese uh, migrate, they will, you may be familiar with the kind of V formation that they use um, when they're flying. Um, and there'll always be a lead bird that's that's kind mm. of leading the V. But they will take it in turns and they will rotate around and there'll be a different leader. Um, you know, when one gets tired, it will sort of drop to the back and another another goose will take the kind of front of that v and i really love that idea of shared leadership i guess you know there there is a kind of hierarchy there but it's a temporary hierarchy and because of the trust that the birds have um in each other in one way you know different birds get to lead Mm -hmm. and the other birds get to rest and there's something about i find organizational structure really interesting and um there are kind of classic command and control hierarchical structures, but increasingly I notice and experience myself, you know, more well, sort of flatter structures. So there might be a gentle hierarchy, but it can often be shared leadership. Um, and so, you know, the, the structure is serving us and our needs and strengths and, you know, where we're trying to get to rather than we're simply sort of serving a structure that maybe is becoming a bit outdated. Yeah, that came to mind. Mm. Also, when I think of risk, I think of um, 
um, children and education. And I actually think of um, models like the forest schools. Um, mm. So these are um, places where kids can go outside and learn in nature in a kind of safe and slightly managed environment. And, and in fact, also there are, I don't know what they're called, but kind of almost like summer camps for risk. So you can put your um, child into one of these camps and they will experience risk, but in a very kind of safe way. I just find it interesting that kind of correlation between exposing children to nature and, and kind of giving them the tools and, and even confidence to be in nature um, mm. and, and how important that is. And I think I've referenced it before. There's a couple of books. One of them is called Last Child in the Woods by Richard Louvre. Um, and there's a book also that came out recently called, I think, Wild Child by Patrick Barkham, who's a um, Guardian um, columnist. And yeah, this idea of you know, how essential um, uh, nature and being outdoors is for the development of children, but also, you know, to do that well, we need to equip children and give them tools, give them resources, give them relationships. You know, we're talking about being with others and trusting um, in others at the moment. How can children trust in their peers and their, you know, the, the adults in their lives so that they're able to to be in nature and take um, healthy risk um, but knowing that again it's not all on them they can do so with the support of others I think that's um, that's interesting yeah and I mean it, and as you've kind of alluded to but um, I've got here a, a study from the end of uh, 2019 um, done by um, University College London mm. uh, in which it says that four out of five children um, say they feel more confident in themselves after spending time participating in outdoor activities. And they did this research um, commissioned by the Wildlife Trust um, with 451 children in 12 different parts of England doing outdoor activities such as identifying plants and trees. And they found that, yes, 79% of the participants found the experience could help their schoolwork. Mm. 81% agreed they had better relationships with their teachers as you were alluding to about relationships and 79% reported better relationships with their classmates. And what feels important as well is that 84% of children said that they were capable of doing new things when they tried. Mm. So it's, it's not just us feeling, feeling that this <laughs> is important, but it's, it's starting to show up you know, in research as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I scribbled a quote um, earlier that's just jumped out at me as you, as you, speak about that and it's from the author um simon sinek and um mm. it was just in an interview he gave and he said courage comes from those around you um mm. and he sort of talks about the idea of one's own grit and how that can feed somebody else's kind of grit and determination and resilience yeah so we've looked then at confidence within ourselves confidence in others you know and through and with others actually as uh, your quote just alluded to and I guess it's now taking a step back and thinking about confidence in and and with the natural world you know the kind of more systemic piece and I guess you know what we've talked about already with children you know being outdoors and forest schools uh, is one place to look um, for me, when I think about confidence in the natural world, there's, there's two parts to it in a way. One is there is almost like a confidence that's so 
you know, part of who we are. It's unconscious. So I don't even think every night will the sun come up. I'm just confident it will. Uh, I'm confident that the waves go in and out. Uh, I'm confident that harvests, you know, will the crops will grow and be harvested. Mm. I'm confident in menstrual cycles. Mm. And there's, so there's that part of us that is, has such innate trust in the natural world that we don't necessarily even think about it. And there's also times when that gets disrupted. Now, you know, there could be solar eclipses. There could be tsunamis. There could be droughts. There could be uh, reproductive health issues. You know, all these things can be sent to challenge us. And there's, there's something about almost like luxuriating in some of the confidence we have in the natural world, but then also being really conscious about how we can show up when things are challenged. And we've talked earlier episodes about climate change, um, how to be resilient, and then how to step in and up to, to help the natural world. Mm. Yeah, and that example you just said of your kind of trust in the harvest um, always happening and us being able to eat, even that, you know, I guess it brings it home that having trust in those things, maybe it's it's fragile. So um, there are there is research and, and studies that show we might have sort of 30 to 50 soil cycles left Um in, I think this is just the UK. I'll, I'll, I'll dig out a reference and put it in the notes. But, um, you know, the way that we are farming and managing our land um, is so depleting the soil of, of nutrients and microorganisms and, and all the things that we need to, to grow food and, and so on. That kind of trust we have in, in a harvest happening every year is, is a fragile trust. And if we're not thinking about things like how we farm and and more than that what are we eating how are we buying how are we voting with our pocket by in the foods that we buy yeah it it does feel timely we're we're looking at this how are we trusting the natural world and are we Mm. how 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 are we exploiting it in such a way that actually maybe we won't be able to trust in it um Mm. and yeah as you say you know what is our role as 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 humans in this world you know we're part of the natural world we're not separate from it what is our role in I'm stepping up and and acting on this. And I feel we've we've alluded to this before, but it's for me, it feels like the first step is having a connection with the natural world, you know, Um, because without that, it it can all be theoretical or alien or other, you know. Um, And we've we've talked briefly about forest schools and children being outside, Um, even things like the brownies and scouts or duke of edinburgh ways to get kids into nature and there's a really interesting organization that's based in london uh, called wild in the city uh, which was founded in 2013 Um, and it's looking to support well-being through relationship with nature in london's wild spaces and it's for both children and adults living or working in urban areas And they talk about building people's self-confidence through some of the approaches that they use. People in cities often have lost contact with nature and what it can offer in terms of relaxation, recreation. Some of that was helped, you know, with COVID and lockdown where we almost like forced to get out more. Um, But there are also realities of, you know, uh, 
low incomes limiting options mm. not having uh role models or you know having it as part of your family or um and an interesting fact they share is that over 47 percent of london is green space mm. which i didn't know i knew it's a green city but i didn't know it was as much as that so if half of london is green space then it's feasible to spend at least half our time in its wild and natural areas mm. so that's definitely an organization worth, worth looking into, um, you know, if you're doing follow-up reading. Um, but for me, there's something about, you know, I think both you and I, Elizabeth, have mentioned that we grew up in the countryside and being in the natural world was, was part of our childhood. And there's a confidence there that we, we're okay if we get muddy or we fall down and get wet or whatever, that, mm. you know, it'll be okay. But if you haven't grown up like that, you know, there's a question about how confident you are in in the countryside. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, it, it's not something we can assume and just take for granted. Um, mm. And again, kind of coming back to the idea of what tools, how how do we equip children and adults to to tap into that sort of confidence and trust in the natural world um, when it can be so unknown and, and even scary at times. Um, that's why I love. So I've been reading a lot of children's books at the moment and, and I particularly enjoying the ones that kind of bring in the natural world and show how relationships can be formed between children and the natural world. Um, and also we've referenced them before, but just, you know, David Attenborough documentaries that literally kind of bring the natural world into our living rooms mm. um, and kind of help us to become familiar with it. I think those are, yeah, things that I appreciate. Mm. Certainly. I'm going to just um, go back to the idea of bird migrations again um, and in thinking about kind of trusting in the natural world um, and um, and also the human world. So when I think about bird migrations, um, we know in the UK that some migratory birds have been really struggling um, and that's either sort of lab- habitat loss in this country um, but it can also be challenges that birds face on their migratory routes. Some birds will die from um, starvation and exhaustion and also being you know, hunted by humans. So there are you know, lots of risks that they um, encounter on their way, but still kind of trusting in that process and their journey, which has been you know, around for you know, forever. It makes me think of... You know, when we travel, we have a passport and we check in and we check out and we know the kind of borders we're going through. But mm. when birds and other animals migrate, they don't see those borders. They, they're they sort of trusting in almost that kind of cross-border cooperation, if you like. Um, they don't really see boundaries like we do, mm. edges. And it makes me think, how do we, whether it's breaking down silos and working between worlds and between sectors that wouldn't usually work together, you know, how, do, how are we how we cooperate in cross-border in our working lives, um, in our political lives, um, in international work. You know, climate change also doesn't see borders and boundaries. How are we cooperating internationally um, with the natural world and, and with each other to tackle complex, messy challenges like climate change? Yeah, so when I think about birds migrating like this and not seeing borders but being able to move freely it, it it shows me that you know we can do it that we can set vision and, and go on big journeys together and work together you know see, see that bigger picture um it can be done and i think bird migration is a nice example of this 
So when I think of these birds, you know, flying thousands of miles, um, yeah, swallows apparently fly. Um, they cover about 200 miles every day. Um, they feed on flying insects as they journey. Um, they find food along the way. And it just, it, it, it kind of brings me back to the idea of, well, the topic of this, this podcast, confidence. Um, and it reminds me of a, a quote, again, from Helen Keller, who I referenced earlier. She said that optimism is the faith that leads to achievement. Nothing can be done without hope and confidence. You know, I know that swallows aren't necessarily thinking of the concepts of hope and confidence, but just setting off on that journey together with that destination in mind, and it is a far off, thousands of miles away destination, mm. um, they have this hope and confidence and trust that they don't need to pack a little backpack full of insects, but that they'll find them on the way, um, mm. that they will be able to um, use the kind of strength that comes in the flock to undertake that journey. Um, and then when they get to the other end, they'll have their roosts and, and habitat there waiting for them. Um, and there is something about, you know, how, where are we working? How are we working together? It can, you know, it can be done when we look at the natural world. It's, it's, it's possible. Um, so how are we breaking down boundaries, figuring out how to work together? How are we forming our flocks? What are these big, far-off destinations we're working towards? It reminds me, too, there's a lovely um, couple of lines, actually, from the Bible that I really like, um, which are often quoted. It, it talks about, um, where is it? It says, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your father feeds them. And then it goes on to say, uh, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. Just the idea that, you know, the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, they're not, as I say, filling their backpacks and hoarding things in barns. They are just being themselves. And they, they trust in their DNA and kind of where they're going. So, yeah, that kind of idea of hope is really linked to confidence for me. Um, mm. What are we hoping for? Um, mm. And where are we going? I love that. It's a great call to action, Elizabeth. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's not to say also that it's, you know, it, it, it's tough. It's, it's not all easy. It's not all plain sailing like it isn't for the birds. You know, they, things are getting tough for birds, but they still do it. It's hard to work together. It's hard to see big picture and work beyond borders, beyond national and personal self-interest, actually. But it's doable. And I think, are we willing to do it? Are we willing to to go there? Which makes me think then of sorry, without wishing to cram too much in here, the idea of kind of arrogance and, and overconfidence. And I think there's something about, for me, the idea of believing in work and in, in a cause that's kind of bigger than ourselves, that can that kind of connects to confidence for me, um, rather than simply believing in ourselves, um, mm. which can perhaps tip into then more arrogance and I know it's not as simple as that but just that kind of fine line between healthy confidence and then sort of you know arrogance or exaggerated mm -hmm. ego and I think this this stuff is hard um, and we will only do it by working together for that bigger cause rather than simply just our own sort of self mm. self-promotion of course if we can align those things you know our self um, you know our personal hopes and aims with the kind of bigger picture cause that's that's brilliant and yeah, it reminds me, Elizabeth, of um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who sadly died last week. She said, you know, that's what I think a meaningful life is. You know, one's lives are not just for oneself, but for one's community. 
Mm. And it is, it's thinking beyond our own immediate survival. Of course, it's important, you know, to make sure that we are looking after ourselves so we're able to help, but it's also, you know, thinking about the survival of those around us and of the natural world. Mm. Yeah, and um, she, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, was the um, Supreme Court justice, wasn't she? And that, that kind yeah. of, yeah, that idea of working for the big picture justice and fairness and equality mm. and, and particularly kind of women's rights and, and so on. She was a real inspiration. Yeah, and that, that her, her quote also reminds me of another um, idea from Helen Keller, um, who said, security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Mm. And that's, you know, that's it's quite extreme in many ways because yeah. um, it isn't always that black and white, but that idea of by not daring or by being underconfident and not putting your head above the parapet and, and avoiding danger. What are the advantages in doing that? Mm. How do you benefit through doing that? And if you were to sort of test what confidence looks like and courage, um, what could the benefits be there? Yeah, those are a question. That's a question that's been in my mind, you know, the advantages to being confident or not being confident. Yeah. It almost feels like that that's perhaps a takeaway, you know, mm. maybe so we, we move here to, you know, what we might want to offer our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's, it's all very well us saying, you know, be confident, yeah. you know, but it really is in, in some ways uh, a bit of a feedback loop. It's also a bit of a muscle building exercise. It's also connecting within ourselves, you know, what's important to us, our values, um, and being feeling accepting of those and that we matter and are enough and one of the things that I've found helpful with clients um, is is making notes you know of, of them to make notes of their small wins every day mm. you know where they've added value where perhaps they've taken a courageous step and whilst you know one day is one day as you start building that up it's noticing that actually you are adding value, you are taking courageous steps. And, and by that, you know, confidence can grow. Mm. So, you know, if that feels useful to you, I encourage you to give that a go. It could be writing it down. It could be doing little video diary, whatever is going to make it most fun for you. Mm. Yeah, I like that, the, the, the everyday wins. I think that's really nice. Mm. Um, and you use the word courage there a couple of times, which mm. reminds me of the kind of French root of the word courage is which is heart and I love that idea mm. of you know how is your heart in all of this where is your mm. your heart your values your instinct what is that saying um and and can you use that to kind of sort of confidently step into work or relationship um mm. and yeah that question of how is confidence or underconfidence serving you um and what could you try differently mm. also just perhaps you know we've talked a lot about color actually in this episode in nature and animals that use color and, and lipstick and so on um just an idea pops to my mind you know how can color come into this is is that something that can serve you other particular colors that you're drawn to that you could perhaps incorporate into your clothing or you could paint a wall of your house or wear a lipstick or whatever it is um, mm. to kind of, for me, color is really associated with feeling. So, you know, I'll wake up one day and put on, I don't know, black clothes and actually realize it's more of a green kind of feeling day. So I'll then put on something green. Um, and I don't quite know 
what that means but I definitely go with it and it definitely supports um, that kind of confidence and courage mm. yeah and we'll put a, a couple of book references that we've mentioned in the, the show notes as well have a flick through those and then just one, one more that's popping into my head is um, you know about the natural world and you know almost like taking one step beyond your what you're used to doing you know in a regular basis so if you're like Elizabeth and out in the countryside you know is it doing an extra mile or climbing a slightly steeper steeper you know slope mm. and if you're in the city like me you know is it sitting under a tree with your eyes closed in front of other people that may feel really awkward at first but actually just sitting there and and being and and challenging yourself to do something like that mm. you know so um yeah really enjoying what nature has to offer as well mm. Brilliant. I'm sure. I mean, this is a huge topic, isn't it? We could we could do a whole mm-hmm. series on confidence. I mean, confidence yeah. is a big it's a big industry. Even lots of people yeah. work on this. So we've obviously just scratched the surface surface from our own, you know, unique subjective perspective. Um, mm. But that's you know, with confidence that we we hope that that's enough for today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. Nice link. Yeah. And um, yeah, thank you for joining us. As ever, we if you want to carry on conversations, we've got a, a community over on Facebook. You can search Unfurling Podcast. Um, and that's sort of just to support people to connect and sort of go deeper on some of these ideas and share resources. So you're very welcome there. But otherwise, yeah, see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah. See you in a couple of weeks. I have one last quote. I haven't done many quotes this uh, episode. Just to say, as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. And that's by Marianne Williamson. So it's not just all about us, it's about the impact Mm. on others. So yeah, I hope you have a shiny (laughs) couple of weeks before our next episode comes out. Mm. And um, thank you for joining us on Unfurling, a podcast that explores the power of the natural world to inform and inspire. Mm.